Casey Neistat, for example, was this like, I am you, right? Like every piece of it, there was something about family. Even when he was doing things that were sensational, like going to the Oscars, it was very human sitting in the Oscars and eating candy out of his jacket. And there was something that felt like this guy's just like me. And I think that's, that's some of the question of like, when you, when you dig into value prop, education is obviously, education and inspiration, I think are obvious when you watch your channel. The next one is it, is it, you know, peer to peer connection? Like, are you a peer of mine? What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Hot Tub, aka Rabbi Cantlose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Samir Chowdhury from Colin and Samir, a YouTube channel that interviews the world's top creators like MKBHD, Mr. Beast, and they provide in-depth analysis on the latest news in the creator economy. It took a decade for them to get to this point where they're now the influencer's influencer. Uh, they actually got started doing a lacrosse media company. If you've ever wanted to learn about how to create content that brands and audiences love, plus the creator economy, you're going to love this episode. In this conversation, here's three gigantic things. Number one, how to find content market fit. Number two, what's it like being a broke creator? Number three, why you should make content with your audience, not for them. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, go check out emailbadge.com. It's our new email signature we built. It's free, emailbadge.com. And subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash okdork. I want to send you a video. I like you. To learn more about Colin and Samir, make sure you check out their newsletter, thepublishedpress.com, and search for Colin and Samir on YouTube, one of my favorite shows. Also, special pre-show shout-out to the listener, Nori88. Uh, they left a review saying, best podcast online. Are all the podcasts online? Anyway, they said, must listen for every entrepreneur. Love Noah's interviews, particularly the episodes with small and medium business-sized owners. Thank you so much for the feedback, homie. I love you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. And if you want a shout-out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them. How are you? Life is good. It's just, it's so much busier than it, I could have ever anticipated. And I think it's, it's, there's a variety of reasons for that. I think, you know, we've been in the creator space for 10 years and it's been very slow moving every year, especially because we aren't the creators who shot up to millions and millions of subscribers. We've been working behind the scenes with creators. We've been more on like the B2B side of the creator economy which has not really been that significant until all of a sudden it seems like in the last 12 months, it's just accelerated. And being in the world for, for 10 years, I think you see these moments, these waves of when you have momentum and when you don't. And when you do have momentum, you want to try and capitalize on Hell yeah. it, of course. And so I just don't think we anticipated a wave being this big coming into this year. So everything that we had on the roadmap that was kind of like, let's, let's move kind of slow has all been accelerated. We have a lot of team members now that, that are new. We're trying to manage a remote company and, and do it all while maintaining, you know, being content creators. Hell yeah. So it's, it's a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge. Being a content creator and an entrepreneur at the same time is a serious challenge. What are some of the stories or like moments that have been interesting with this like momentum and tidal wave? Some of the most interesting stuff has been around the people who are watching like even getting connected with you, like understanding like who's watching. Because I think we've always understood that our audience is not, our goal is not actually to have the largest audience, it's to have like a very powerful, impactful audience. And that's something that feels like it's been coming to a head recently. You know, one of the co a very cool moment was Susan Wojcicki, the uh, CEO of YouTube, tweeting out one of our videos last week. Uh, same with Robert Kinsel the week after, who's another executive at YouTube. And starting to feel that the people that we want to be watching are watching, that's really exciting. To, to be able to, you know, we interviewed Marquez Brownlee and found out that, you know, that the way we, that interview came together is we found out he watches. 
And so starting to learn that all these people that we talk about, you know, over coffee and, and think are like the, the pioneers are watching our content. That's crazy. And that's exciting for us. So I think th- like it's, it's not necessarily one specific moment, but this moment where we feel like we are, we found our content market fit, where the content that we want to make, the content matches with the content the audience watches, or sorry, the content that we want to make is matching up with the content that an audience is interested in, which is matching up with an industry that's willing to finance it, right? There's advertising partners who want to be a part of it. And I think that is the most exciting because it's taken us a very long time to, to make that match. You have to have those three things dance together, right? Which three things? The three things have, that have to dance together is that, that you want to make the content, the audience wants to watch it, and there's an industry to finance it, yeah. right? You have to be able to monetize it. And so those three things, there was always one of them missing. And um, it's exciting that they're all hitting right now. Like it's happened in the past where there's content we're making that, that the audience wants to watch that we don't want to make again, you know? Or there's content that uh, we want to make that the audience doesn't want to watch. And then sometimes there's content that we want to make that the audience wants to watch and that no one wants to pay for. And so if those three things match, that's where you've, you've found a fit in the content world. I've, I've loved your stuff. I, I saw the lacrosse video, like one of the earlier, like, who are we? And I was like, it is interesting once you know someone's story as well. You're like, oh, I like them more. Interesting. And that made me really like appreciate you guys. And it's, it's, it's an, one, I'm curious how to know when you, how do you know you have content market fit? And then I guess also how have you become like the creator's creator? So, yeah, I mean, just to, to rewind our story. So 10 years ago, I went to school up north at UC Santa Cruz, which, you know, was a very funky and, and cool place to go, but it really rewarded arts. One thing it didn't really reward was sports. Sports was not as, you know, serious at Santa Cruz, but I grew up playing sports. And more importantly, I grew up playing an incredibly niche sport. I, I grew up playing lacrosse, which in Los Angeles, like I grew up here in Venice Beach. And so walking around these areas, I remember very distinctly, I walked around with a lacrosse stick and someone said to me, that's a crazy tennis racket. And I was like, wow, no one knows what this is, but I love it. And there's a community of people who, who loves it as well. And when I went up to UC Santa Cruz, I also played lacrosse. Again, no one knew what we were all doing, but there, you could feel that there was a community that was so into it, but that felt very like we weren't a part of the broader sports community. And so when I graduated college, my, my goal was to turn that community into something that was more tangible. Like, how can, you, how can you take that feeling that we all have, that we're all so obsessed with this sport and we love it and we find community through it, we find, you know, um, connection through it and we find purpose through it. But right now, the only thing that exists is a magazine. And that's how the stories are told. And that's how we connect. So I wanted to bring video into the sport. And my first thought was, I'll make a TV network. Of course, you know, it's two, 2010 and I'm like, that's what makes sense. I'll, I'll try and I'll, I'll put a pitch deck together and I'll make a TV network. But being in Northern California, the reason why that um, is an important part of the story is I got connected with people who are working at YouTube and started hearing stories about what was happening at YouTube. And so it became more and more interesting. But I came back to LA and I started working in Hollywood. And I was like, I'll just make movies and I'll, this lacrosse thing, it'll happen. But you know, first I'll make movies and then maybe I'll make a movie about lacrosse. So... Uh, as I was working as an editor in Hollywood, I was like, oh my God, this process is so slow. Like I would go in every day, sit in this dark room, we would edit, and all I would do is like pair the, the audio and the visuals with this. And then that was your whole thing? That was my whole thing, yeah. And there was like six editors in the room, and we were editing a film called Ides of March. And it was such a, pro- such a process. I sat with the, the main editor, and he was like, you seem kind of frustrated, like what's going on? And I was like, when does this movie come out? Like, wh- what is this? And he was like, in, in 18 months. And I was like, oh my God, I can't. I, this feels so backwards. Like, I feel like I know how to make something right now. 
and I could put it out. And he was like, well, this, what you're doing now is not the path to that. This is the path to you becoming, you know, a better assistant editor. And I'll probably hire you again as an assistant editor. And then I'll hire you again and again and again. And maybe one day you could be the lead editor, but that might not be for 10 or 15 years. And he was like, and it doesn't sound like that's what you want to do. sounds like you want to go make something. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, so I would, I suggest you go do that. And so I shifted my focus back and, and called the people who I knew up at, at, up at YouTube. And I said, what if I do this lacrosse network thing on YouTube? And I was so energized. I was like, they'll probably cut me a check. They'll probably give me the financing for it. And they were like, why don't you come up to San Bruno and let's talk? So I went up, we talked about it. And they're like, it's a great idea. I'm not going to give you any money for it, but we're here to support you. It sounds like a fun idea for you. And I was like, okay. And I took it really seriously and started something called the Lacrosse Network. And basically it was, hey, can we create an online video destination for this niche community that, that really cares about this one thing. And all I had was my computer. I bought a camera and that was it. So what we did is uh, it was me and a buddy here in LA and we just started filming pickup games of lacrosse, like anything, anything, and just storytelling. What happened was within that community, it started to like really pick up because there was no other content. There was no other way to connect. And there was like a visual language to people who were a part of it, who were excited to see consistent content. So we just decided we're going to post a video every single day about lacrosse. And that was really hard being here in LA. And so naturally, you know, over time, the cameras turned on ourselves and we started talking to the audience because we didn't have anything else to film. And that's what we learned was like, okay, so maybe YouTube is, is a two-way conversation. Maybe we talk, they talk, we hear what they want, we make that, we ask them again, and then we keep that conversation going. That's how I met Colin. Colin was the only other person making content about lacrosse. He was making a web series, like a documentary web series about his college lacrosse team and decided to carry that onto our network. And, and um, that started doing better and better. And the content started picking up. We then, through our relationship with YouTube, started doing live streaming. And so we started live streaming high school games, then eventually college games. Then we got rights to the pro games and started doing all the pro games. We became the biggest distributor of live sports on YouTube which allowed us to get into the room with a bunch of different sports partners, WWE, UFC, and starting to have YouTube kind of use us as their poster children of what the next iteration of the sports world would look like. And two and a half years into that, what we did is we went from one channel, which was highlights, vlogs, news analysis, uh, and live games, and we built it into 60 different channels all about lacrosse. So that was with athletes. So we'd build personality channels with leagues. We would had this model where we'd take a brand and we'd, we'd actually, like, it was like a creative service. We'd say, we can build you a YouTube channel. And so we built this whole niche network around lacrosse. And in 2014, our company was acquired by a company called Whistle Sports that was looking essentially to do the same thing across all sports verticals. Yeah. Like similar to Flow Sport? Very similar. Yeah. We, we worked with them at the time, actually. You know, it was this unbelievable thing because for two years, this was really hard. There's, there was very little money involved. Everyone on the team was making hundreds of dollars, not thousands of dollars. And living in LA, that's, that's a hard thing to do. But we were also committed and we were so energized by the fact that the audience cared. And no one else around us thought it was a good idea, except for the audience. And there was something so powerful about hearing from the audience on a regular basis that they loved it. And if we didn't upload, we would hear from them. They would miss us. And so there was something about that that we were like, we, we know we're doing something right. Like there's people who care about what we're doing. Even if we were talking to someone, you know, advertisers are very hard to convince. Anyone to finance this was super hard to convince. No one, no one did. 
And so we had to get really scrappy with how we would make money, how we would, you know, keep this thing going. But, you know, getting acquired was this moment where we had this ultimate validation, this company that valued what we were doing, both, you know, financially, but also just generally valued, like you are doing something of value. And then we got plugged into a much broader community of people who cared about the same thing. And I think today, when I look at what we're doing now, it's not so different from what we were doing with the lacrosse network. Colin and I were, were both grew up playing lacrosse. We were, you know, dedicated to this community that we felt was underserved, that we felt didn't have stories being told about the community. It's the same thing we're doing today. We've been creators for 10 years. We've been on YouTube for 10 years. It hasn't been a super understood thing to do and a, and a super understood community. And now we, we have always wanted to tell stories about the people who are doing it. It's the same thing that we were doing 10 years ago. So it's essentially like we're making content that we would have wanted when we were younger. And that's what we were doing with lacrosse network. That's what we're doing today. One thing that, that, that stood out with what you're saying was really, really interesting, uh, the whole thing. Specifically for me, it's like you guys are adept at working for a little wage. And I think that yeah. someone a few weeks ago was like, I'm going to be trying to get popular on Twitter. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then two weeks later, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty tired of it. Yep. And I think almost the, the, you put in the reps of doing like, what's keeping me going? How do I sustain this level? Even when I'm not getting the accolades, maybe of the money. And so it's, I think something like that happened as well for you guys with the current YouTube. Very similar. Yeah. I mean, so uh, one note about that is I remember the day after the acquisition news hit, it was very exciting. It was in variety. It was, again, it was like something we were just sitting in a room doing this thing. We didn't think it was like, you know, it, it was this ultimate moment of validation when it happened. And there was financial validation too. But I remember the next day I got in my car and I drove to the same place and I opened the door and Colin and, and Julian, who's the co-founder, they were both sitting there just working. On my way in, I was like, nothing feels different today. And we walked in and we just sat and we met about the content we had to make and then moved on. And, and it was kind of like, oh, it's just about the practice of it. It's about, about the process of making the stuff every day and servicing the audience and having fun doing it. And there's going to be these waves. There's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. But if you enjoy doing the thing, then that's all you're signing up to do is more of the thing. That's what I've noticed. In the second iteration with Colin and Samir, you know, when we left the company, we decided we just, we just left because we wanted to do things outside of sports. We were like, we just want to explore the creator economy outside of this world. And I think honestly, we were probably premature. We just, we just honestly, we're just young and we just want to do something different. And I remember my dad being like, well, you kind of won. Like you took a bet on this space and then you won. Like someone bought the company, you're, you're a salaried employee here, you're an executive at this company, you have a great roadmap to becoming a sports media executive. And I didn't have any reason outside of it just feel like I want to do something different. And so when we stepped out again, it was just like, same process, figure out what we want to talk about, and then start making content about it. This time around, way harder. I think that, that the thing was, when we left, we seriously didn't have a community that we wanted to talk to. We didn't know, we just had things we wanted to make. And so that's why, just to bring it back to that content market fit, when we left the company, we had great content market fit with, with the lacrosse community, which I don't think anyone else knew. One, there was an underserved audience. They, they wanted content. Mm -hmm. We were ready to, to produce content and we knew what to make because we were the audience. So we knew what would fulfill us. So that allowed not the biggest audience, but an audience that wanted the content. And then there was a whole industry that the only thing they had was magazines. And you had players getting in the industry like Nike and Under Armour, and there was no place to advertise. And so there actually was, you know, content market fit in the lacrosse community. When we stepped out, we didn't know who we wanted to talk to. 
but we knew the content we wanted to make. The thing that we learned pretty quickly was that no one wanted to watch the content we wanted to make. What was that stuff early on? You know, we were super inspired by Casey Neistat and we were like, let's just vlog. And then we realized our lives are not that interesting. We sit at a computer for, for eight hours a day and we're not as talented at making the mundane a movie. And so pretty quickly through creating, like we learned, oh my God, like we don't have half the audience we used to have. Some people care about this, but they cared about us more when we were making the content they wanted to see, uh, which was about lacrosse. And now we're just making YouTube content for a couple thousand people. And we don't know why. We're just doing it. We're just creatively expressing ourselves. And so that was a pretty stressful time because I think there was a lot of questioning of like, what did, what did we just do? What did we, why did we do that? And there was a lot of like self-discovery through, through that process. But again, going back to what, what you mentioned, like we had to then come back after, you know, the runway that we had started to slowly dwindle. It was like, well, we're back here. We're back to making content for very little money. Maybe you're just good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's what we're meant to do. Yeah. And, and from there, you know, basically we turned ourselves into a creative agency, did content for other people. That was fun, but it's not what we really wanted to do. We wanted to be our own brand. We wanted to, to build something around what we wanted to talk about. We wanted to build an audience. Um, and really what we started doing was just producing content for other people. And, um, Again, it's creative work, so it's fun, but there's a level of, of that type of work that, that started to feel just not that fulfilling, just wasn't the content we wanted to make, and we might as well have been at our last company if we were going to do that. And so we had to really, really dig deep to find what we were going to make. And you start to realize like at that point, you have a long road ahead of you. Once you haven't found your format, you have a long road ahead of you because you're, you're just throwing shots out on YouTube to find a format that works. And that you want to keep doing. Because the thing again is like, as I mentioned before, once you find the thing, you're just signing up to do more of that thing. <laughs> if you find the thing that the audience loves, amazing. And if an advertiser loves it, amazing. But that just means that's your, that's your product now. That's your thing. You got to do that over and over and over and over. It felt like we were in a lab just trying to figure out what was the thing. I think people, including myself, are always curious, like the perseverance on that. Like the stories that you're telling yourself or the moments. And then like, I am curious the moment you're like, oh, maybe this is actually working again. That moment didn't happen until last year. And that moment happened again this year where I think we found the format. So the thing that we never knew that we now know uh, that I would tell any creative is that I used to think that it was like figure out the creative, then develop a process. But now I know it's actually the reverse, especially when you're trying to be like a, a media company. You have to figure out the process for making content first, then you make the creative better then you can get to monetization. So the reason I say that is because a lot of times we would create things that would do well. They would, they would do uh, you know, close to a million views and we we're like, okay, that's great. But we didn't have any process to do it again. Mm. It was like, how do you do it again? And we would just slave for weeks to try and do it again. And then we didn't know how it actually came. We'd have to reverse engineer. How did that come together? Yeah. And so this year we've moved into this like talk show format. Last year, we were doing all types of different videos, you know, still topically about the creator economy and those started to, to do well. Um, and that's what we want to make as well. Um, but we started doing this, like filming our podcast and we put it on a second channel. And at the end of the year, what we realized was that was the most sustainable thing we did. Like the thing that we could do even in our most busy times was get a podcast out. And so then we had to take a step back and say, well, then is that the format? You know, if that's the thing we can do no matter what. Like we, we have so much fun doing it. Uh, the production is the easiest version of production that we can do. The post-production isn't that overwhelming. We can, we can get one of these out in a 24 hour window. 
that's when we realized that ha- that content had the longest lifespan. We sat down and we're like, we think we can do that for 10 years. And we think we can do it for 52 weeks a year. And once we identified that, then we realized we have the process. So now let's make the show better. Let's make sh- every week, let's just layer creative on top of it, make the show better. And those two things clicked in a matter of weeks. Yeah. So once, once we figured out that process, then the creative could get layered on top of it, right? We can just chip away with like, okay, so the process is we sit down at these mics and we talk, film it with two cameras and we put it together. How do you make it better now? Do we build segments? Do we write scripts? How do we, and now we've built a research team around it. We've built, you know, some writing around it. And now the monetization has clicked in. We're fully sold out of that show for, for this quarter uh, in terms of ad integration. So immediately it was like once that clicked and the process was down, it was like, we can commit to the show, you know, one, two times a week. Whereas before the formats we were doing, you know, we would sit and say, when can we make another one? And we'd be like, I don't know. Because my formats are all over the place. So that's what I'm curious. To, did you guys, you tried a lot of them and you're like, oh, this is one that's working or was it the most promising and the most like sustainable? Sustainable. Sustainable is number one. Because anything, if we've learned anything in 10 years, it's that building a culture and community around content just takes time. And so what's the thing you can do for a long period of time? That's the question you have to answer as a content creator. Like, you know, for, for us right now, we're doing this like conversational format. This is a different format than I've seen on, on your channel. You have done some of these, uh, which I actually watched recently, one with Shelby Church. Yeah. That was kind of, that was cool because that also had like text on it. It had like wrapped up the lesson. B-roll. Yeah. yeah. It's like a mixed format. That didn't do very well. It's, it's interesting the ones you want to do versus the ones that are get popular. And I like what you said earlier, some that I don't want to keep doing, even though people want to watch it. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. So yeah, I think it, for us, it was just actually something that almost happened by accident where I really wanted to film our podcast. I just thought we'd been podcasting for years and I was like, we, we got to film this. Such a great opportunity to get content. I don't think we thought it would work on YouTube. Again, it, it intersects with this moment in time where YouTube is rewarding longer watch time, right? It's rewarding longer videos. And so it, it all just intersected at the same time. People are also willing to listen to the stuff we're talking about, which even a year ago, I don't think people would be interested in that. I think similar with your content, like your content has come up in, in a time where I think the first video I watched from you was titled so well, it was like, why Logan Paul makes and it was like such a specific number that I was like, what does he know that I don't know? And so you built tension in that title that, you know, you had a, an equation or you had some, some insight that I didn't know. And then when I watched, you delivered, you made projections, but they were really good and they were interesting and, uh, educational. And so I think, um, that, that to me felt like a really good format for you that, uh, you did. Thank you. That it's interesting with that format because we've tried, I think we've done around like 12 of those types of videos like how this person makes as much money. I was telling Eric, who says, hello, yeah, he, I have a question from him for you. Perfect. <laughs> was he sitting here? Uh, we did in the hot tub. Oh, nice. That's great. That might be my new format is like the hot tub with tacos. The format was interesting though because like a few of them did really well. The Mr. Beast, Logan Paul, Gary Vee, but all the other ones flopped, right? Like Graham Stephan flopped, Peter McKinnon flopped. At some point, you also, knowing how they make money, it's kind of the same thing. Right. So I'm like, here's how they make money. They do integrations, they launch some products, they have ads, they have a team. Like we did, uh, not, we did yes, I don't know if we did yesterday, we did the uh, perf- Dude Perfect. I mean, it's just, it's not that interesting. Yeah. One of the things is, I'm curious how you would pitch this, like, what do you think the value prop is of your YouTube channel? Yeah, we think about that a lot. Like sometimes when we're about to make a video, I'm like, well, who's this for? Yeah. I would say the audience that I'm appealing to is not necessarily a creators. Like you're appealing to people who are like, I want to make money in this creator economy, whatever that is. I'd say it's more of just like, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to have a business, some type of side income, some type of money. How do I get going? We call them underdogs. So it's like, how does someone that maybe needs a little bit of the confidence, like, hey, you can do it. Here's been my journey of how I've done it. 
And then here's some examples of things that you can go do. So I think there's two options in that there's an opportunity to humanize the process and there's an opportunity to sensationalize the process. So the way I, this is what I used to do when we used to work with athletes and we would onboard them onto YouTube. I'd say those are your two options, right? And, and really not to their face, but sometimes when we talk about it, you know, behind the scenes, these are our two options with this athlete. Humanizing them is suggesting bringing them down to eye level and saying, like, from the athlete's perspective, I am you to the audience. Like, I'm the same person. So one person we worked with was Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin was a great example of someone that every piece of content we made felt like it was your friend making yeah. a piece of content, right? And so that was a very human experience. On the other side, you know, LeBron James is a sensation. You cannot be LeBron James. Anything LeBron does, you cannot do. But you watch it to aspire to be like that, right? It inspires you when, when that happens. And so there's two options and, and they're not, one's not better than the other. It's just, I think that now as venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, people who have had success come into the space, the question is, is Noah me? Are you still going through the same struggles that I'm going through? Or have you done it already? And there's almost like a sensational aspect to some of the success that you've had. And you can, you know, take me through some of that, that it might not be that I'm exactly trying to be like you, but some of your narratives and your stories can inspire me to do something in my own life. So I think that those are, I don't know if that fully um, is as clear as I'd want it to be, but I guess the suggestion would be, are you working on projects right now where you're having the same problems that an early stage entrepreneur is having? And can you pull the curtain back and just sit with me in those and show me those? Or have you already been through things that you can then retrospectively yeah. teach me lessons? And so I think those are the two thoughts around it where Casey Neistat, for example, was this like, I am you, right? Like every piece of it, there was something about family or going to the movies. Like it didn't feel that overwhelmed, even when he was doing things that were sensational, like going to the Oscars, it was very human sitting in the Oscars and eating candy out of his jacket. And there was something that felt like this guy's just like me. And I think that's, that's some of the question of like, when you, when you dig into value prop, education is obviously, education and inspiration, are, I think are obvious when you watch your channel. Yeah. The next one is it, is it, you know, peer to peer connection? Like, are you a peer of mine? I think how I'd like to be perceived and how I do respond to the comments. And I do, I totally agree with you about the community. Like mm -hmm. someone's like, oh, I don't care what commenters say. And I, like I was talking to someone and I was like, I love it. And I have honestly, most of the YouTube comments are great. And I enjoy engaging with them. I guess I am, if you were to consult, I guess me, if you were to consult a Jewish guy that probably looks like this, uh, I guess, how would you approach the channel and, and growing that kind of content and as a critter? One of the most connected I've ever, like the most connected I've ever felt to a piece of content was in the startup podcast. Do you, have you listened to that? No, but I know what you're talking about. So in the startup podcast, they both record before and after their conversation of, about equity and how they're going to split up the company. And it's one of the most uncomfortable things you've ever heard. It's so interesting to get into this world where you're like, oh, everyone goes through it. And I think there's this superhuman feel of entrepreneurship that's like, almost feels unattainable. And I think the reality is as I've learned more and more about, you know, successful people and entrepreneurs, it's the thing that's been so relieving for me is that, oh, I, I don't have to know everything. Like people also go through these struggles, no matter what scale you're at. Like there's, there's still these conflicts. You still have to learn how to, you know, empathize with people, how to deal with, with conflict and conflict resolution. There's still going to be stuff you don't know. And I think that has been has given me a lot of confidence in growing our company because I've had a lot of fear around looking at other entrepreneurs and being like, well, they have it figured out. 
so they can build this company of that scale. But I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have all that knowledge or that you know wherewithal to actually do that. And I do think that at scale, like one of the most educational things you can do is allow people to observe, like be more observational. So what I would say is like me as a viewer of your channel, I would say I actually am really interested in what your day to day looks like because I'm also trying to one day be able to rent a space like this and and have creators over to talk to you and. I would love to do this, but I, what's, how do I do that? Like, what does your, what does your day-to-day look like? How do you, how do you operate as this type of person? And I think that's something Gary Vee did well. Um, I think there's, that's a certain, that's for a certain audience. And then, you know, there's other people that can do it differently. So I, that's what I would be really interested in. It's like, what do you, what do you do? Well, so I have AppSumo.com. I don't know if you've yeah, heard yeah. it. Yeah. See, the interesting thing is that I would say that I'm really interested in, in seeing from you and it's selfish. But like, we're about to launch a newsletter. So it's called the Published Press. So Published Projects is like our, our umbrella for like, we're going to launch multiple projects into the creator community. The first one's called the Published Press. And we've been running it internally for a while and we have this roadmap, but it's, it's very scary as a creator to start to build, you know, brand and IP outside of yourself. And, um, but it's the goal. The goal is to use your content to, you know, build scalable brands that, that you're connected to. But I think as a creator, whether it's myself, whether it's Eric, you know, anyone else who's, who's building, trying to build brands, whether it's apparel, merchandise, like we would love feedback and guidance from entrepreneurs. And so I think even when you, like the next step from you talking to one of these creators is actually potentially having a feedback session. Like for me to come to you and be like, here's our business plan. Does this make sense? Like yeah. you've done this stuff before. Yeah. I haven't. We don't get that type of feedback that often. What kind of feedback are you looking for now? So I, I think just looking at it and being like, does this business model make sense? Am, am I naive to think that yeah. we're really building something? What is it? Uh, so what we're building is like a um, creator economy newsletter. So our V1 that we're going to launch is two times a week, three stories. We brought on someone from Morning Brew to help us build it. And then we're kind of positioning it like that. It's like a Morning Brew for the creator specific world. That's cool. So it's two times a week. It's three stories in each issue. What we realize is there's not currently yet enough news in the creator economy to do it every day. But the goal is eventually, maybe over the next two, three years, to do it every day. For us, what we're, what we're thinking about, uh, this is how we're thinking about it, is saying we have an audience that's really interested in this stuff. They exist on YouTube. We'd like to also have them exist in another space um, that you know we have more interaction with more ownership in that and more control. And we also think that we want to be the hub for this information. Like like you mentioned, we do consider ourselves the creator's creator. And so what we did is we, we have news, but we have perspective in it too. We have why it matters from the creator's perspective. Yeah. And so for us, it's it's something that we're building. It will uh, it will be an ad supported, you know, business model in the in the short term. But the V2 of it, what we want to build it into is a paid insights newsletter where we can talk more deeply about trends and make you know deeper suggestions yeah. for people interested in interacting with the creator economy. So that's that's something that's like a big swing that we're taking in our business right now. It requires team, requires investment and it's all fully, you know, bootstrapped from us. It takes a lot of time to yeah. try and pull this off. And what we're noticing is we have a ton of other opportunities. We have consulting, which has been probably the biggest opportunities have come in through that so people are asking, like, help us on our channel? No, pe- businesses are asking, help us get positioned better in the creator economy. Mm. To, like, sell their products or be on, get on YouTube better? Uh, to get creators to use their mm. tools, services, products. Basically, I think people see us as, you know, we have the perspective of 
creators, and we probably also, if you if you work with us, you can communicate to a lot of yeah. relevant creators. And so there's consulting that's um, that's become emerged as an opportunity, uh, more like corporate consulting side um, on the B two B side. We also think that paid membership is an opportunity with us, right? So we have all these different things, and we're like, what do we what do we do? Because how much time we don't have that much time. Like one of the greatest lines I, I, I read was a, a mentor of mine sent an email and he said, creators are audience rich and time poor. Like you don't have very much bandwidth because we're always thinking about creating. And we're in this conundrum of trying to build something that's outside of us creating so we don't have to create to make money. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's... Is that the idea behind the newsletter? That's the idea behind the newsletter is that I think we can build something that serves a very similar audience, that builds more frequency with that audience outside of a one time a week upload. And builds a space for that audience that then we can build into new things as well. When you guys do your planning, like let's say for this year, that newsletter, do you have like, hey, by the end of the year, we want this much money, or do we want this much audience? Or do we want this much like ad revenue? Like, how do you? Guys we have think? audience. We do have quarterly goals on ad revenue, which you know, again, we're lucky in Q2 to to have hit that, and I think that has unlocked for us more capital to invest into the into the newsletter. The newsletter side is more audience based, and I think for me, I with a content product, I can't make too many plans until it's out in the market. Because it's so important. Like you make something and if the audience wants it, then you can build on it. But if they don't want it, like if we release this and they don't want it, then we're shifting, right? We have to pivot. Yeah. That's the same thing with YouTube. And so that, that becomes scary uh, as a content creator of getting into a new medium that's written media that feels kind of backwards in some ways where you're like, wait, we could just say this all in a video. <laughs> but that's the goal is to build something that can live outside of. When are you guys launching it? Mid-May. It'll be, there'll be like an extended alpha, as we're calling it, uh, May 11th. That'll start going out to like a network of about 150 people. And then we have a couple thousand people on the, on the list who are pre-subscribed yeah. to it. How are you guys deciding to do a paid membership for it versus ads or just have like direct sponsorships? So first version will be ad supported. What we're su suggesting is that there actually would be another newsletter, maybe in you know 2022 that we launched that based on the success of this, we'd build a, a membership around. But that's been a big question in our mind of, do we do paid membership or do we do ads and, and a sponsored newsletter? I think it, it's been a big question for us because from a course, when we did our course, I mean, like you can, you can really see that no matter what, your audience will value you higher than anyone else in the world, right? And then additionally, you know, I think direct-to-consumer and that model is, is the the present and the future of the creator economy. It's funny because like the creator stuff is new to me. Like I've always been blogging and I've always podcast and YouTube, but I've never, I don't think my content and the, our team's content that we end up putting out is like, your guys' stuff, it's like, okay, these guys are like pro. And we're getting there and we've done it, but we've done it for one year, one year of rep. You're at like year 12 rep. Internet marketing world, it's like, I guess I've been doing those types of startups and stuff for 20 years. So a little bit, right. maybe sometimes I feel like I still don't know any of it. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, I guess she actually does pretty well. I guess I was curious where you're trying to go with it overall and like, is the newsletter actually the best use of your time? Because like one thought for me, I was like, your YouTube stuff now is exploding, right? And you're like, all right, well, let's go do something else. Mm. I was like, what if you put all that time into like 10xing your YouTube channel? Right. I think, and this might, this might be misplaced, but there's a lot of fear around um, longevity. Colin always describes it as like, we're, we're like baseball pitchers. Like there's like a lifespan. So I think that's, that's the honest answer. We're afraid that we might at some point burn out of doing it and you know some of that is the shift into this format like this format feels a lot more sustainable so i think that has changed over the past 
two months. We've only been doing this format for two months. Yeah. Uh, so I think that has changed quite a bit over the last two months because we're like, oh, okay, now we found something that feels not as intensive on us, you know? But um, there's a lot of fear around being so dependent on you showing up on camera to, you know, generate your income. And so I, I think that um, trying to think about how to build brands that deliver on a similar value prop that are a little bit more scaled in terms of team that can help on it. Because of course, like some level of post-production, we can have a team help, but there's a lot of what we do on our YouTube channel that it's only me and Colin can do that. So I think one thing I've noticed from like working with a lot of entrepreneurs and running my own companies is like, you already have a plan of what you're going to do. So sometimes it's hard to, to give people recommendations, not in a bad way. If people tell me things, I'm like, no, like Andrew's our only investor in AppSumo. I, I do whatever he says two years later. I'm like, oh, that was a good idea. I'll do it too. But it's only two years later. My dad's an entrepreneur and I'm the exact same way with my dad. My dad in, in a car with me and Colin three and a half years ago said, you guys should just prop up some mics and have a show called The Colin and Spear Show. And we're like, no. My dad's in the apparel business. And so when we first started on YouTube, he was like, how does this work? How do you make money? Who's buying your stuff? And I was like, listen, YouTube's going to cut us a check. Trust me. We just upload content here and then YouTube but pays. I think they do, I've heard. They do, but our first check was 35 cents. And then I was like, oh my God, how does this work? Because <laughs> it was after like two months of uploading content. And I think in the lifetime of, of the lacrosse network of while I was there, over a six-year window, we made $60,000 through AdSense. And that was over a six-year window. And so AdSense was never a factor for us. And even today with Colin and Samir, over five years, it's like $33,000 in, in AdSense revenue. So that's never been a factor for us, like that, that business model. I guess, what is your dad recommending now? I think for him, he's, he's on, he looks at us and since the beginning, since day one, he said, you know, what's really interesting about what you do is you have a relationship with all these people who would likely transact with you. And like with his clothing companies, what they do is they, they try really hard to build audiences around the clothing companies. He's like, you already have a, an audience. What are you selling them? Uh, is there something that you can sell them? Yeah. And so for our course, that was the first time we experienced that where it was the first product we sold, we sold. So we sold the course for a hundred bucks, uh, and we had seven hundred fifty people buy it. Are you still selling it or no? Yeah, it still sells. Uh, I think we're really energized around doing another one. We should promote an AppSumo. Sure. I mean, we can definitely promote that for you guys. So what you're telling me, or what I'm hearing, is like, hey, we finally figured out the video format that's working. It's starting to work, and then we're gonna go start something else. Mm. So to me, I, I I do that a lot of times, but I think what I'm wondering is like, what if you put all that time and resource and money and people? into doing two shows a week, right. 10x the channel, get to some fucking, and then whatever you launch, you'll have like this gigantic audience of people available. The newsletter thing, I love the newsletter. One, we've built our own newsletters. I've made eight figures just because of email. Like that's how we've made a lot of our money. But I would wonder, can you just get the newsletter going at a lighter scale just to build up your, honestly, it's just to me insurance against YouTube. YouTube doesn't want to show one of your videos. doesn't matter. You still have that direct communication. And then I think you couldn't start this separate business, but like now you're going to start diverting attention yeah. away from what's already like, it's starting to work. And I'm like, can you 10x what's working? I, I agree with you. I think um, the thing that we've done is we waited until we at least had enough capital to bring on dedicated team for that. That ha there's, there's some sunk cost in that in the beginning of yeah. helping the format. But I think bringing on seasoned people who had done it before was really important to us. And that yeah. took capital. And so we do have, there is a team of, you know, there's a head of the newsletter now. Can they just do it for you guys, for your current content? What do you mean? Like, how does it just more support your, like, you guys as the, as the thing? I'm just saying, like, I think what's interesting is, like, you have this content and you do one a week. What if you just did two a week? And if you have your newsletter that's kind of just more around you? 
at least to start, and it's maybe not so much of an overall business unit, like, we're going to do a big launch, which, honestly, you guys do it, and it could totally work great. Yeah. But it's just like, hey, this is working. Like, how do we accelerate what what's going on? It's a good call out. I think the thing that's been really interesting is actually on the, the reverse that we didn't anticipate, because we have these two amazing contributing writers who are researching the creator economy on a weekly basis. We're getting topics for the show now through the newsletter. Mm. And so now we're seeing, well, actually, we could build two shows, because one of the hardest things is sourcing the story, building the perspective. But now that we have writers doing that, we can actually turn those into shows. If it creates more shows, that, that sounds great. That's interesting to us right now is that we're, we have a, a Slack channel that's called The Writer's Room. And we have people now constantly pitching stories about the creator economy, yeah. things that we had no idea were happening. And so it scales our ability to be like, ooh, that story's interesting. That might make a good show. And so now we are building that way, which I don't think we anticipated. Do you guys have a newsletter now? No. Yeah, we'll just start that today. Like a Colin and Samir. Doesn't matter what you call it. Put it on that, even on this newsletter. Be like, hey guys, we're going to put out our content and other stuff for this stuff. Just go put in your descriptions and start having people subscribe today. Yeah, I think we're trying to figure out how to marry those two things right now in format. Like, this is three news stories. Why are you married to that format, by the way? That, I, I was like, kind of curious. You're two week, three stories. Why not two week, one story or one week, five stories? So we tried one story and it felt like, I don't know, it didn't feel right us it felt more punchy with three and it felt um like a really fun scrolling experience and the way that we've positioned it is like you you in the top line between the photo the headline the subtext the photo and the next line if you just glance at that it's very simple to digest and you can kind of get it and you can go to the next one to the next one and then move and at, the, at least for me as how i use my phone is like very much in that scrolling yeah. feel so at least experientially when we tested it on ourselves and on our, our 13 people who work with us so far, we've gotten good feedback. But the next iteration is there might be, we might roll this out to the next couple hundred people in the audience and they might be like, no. One, one thought there is how come being so like uh, hesitant on it or being so cautious versus just like, let's get some feedback. That is something that Colin and I have to get over. I'm probably the opposite. Where I'm like, go fast yeah. and then figure it out, which is not bad. There's, there's definitely benefits. What's interesting is with video, we're not like that. We're like, we can iterate while we're live. Like with the show, it's like, let's just start doing it and then we'll iterate while we're live. And that has paid dividends for us. With new formats, I think it's been, you know, there's been hesitation around it. And I think we're very cautious about what our brand puts out. But I do think there's a huge value. I've, I, I preach this type of stuff saying that like, make the content with the audience, not for the audience. Like have them be involved in crafting the content. Yeah. Social is a two-way communication. It's not- Have you guys put up on like your community tab about this kind of stuff? Yeah, we have. What kind of responses or what are they? So uh, we started doing polls which was really interesting. And like at first it was like 1,000 people voted. I think our last one, 26,000 people voted in a poll. And so Colin's been really engaged in that. And, and even on Twitter, we see a lot of engagement. And the other place we do is, is in the show, we have an audio exclusive version that only goes on uh, Spotify, like on our, or our RSS feed, sorry. Yeah. And in that one, we speak directly to the audience and ask them for feedback. And we've seen the highest engagement through that where we'll launch like a specific website, like a URL that has like a feedback portal. Just for? Just for the audio, people who listen to our audio. And we found they're the most engaged. We did that with the course where we had basically the people from our audience help craft the curriculum. It's interesting because I guess you make me reflect, like, you know, Reed from Next yeah. Media. I was talking with him and he was like, Jimmy from Mr. Beast is not like an entertainer. He's like trying to be a Disney. Right. And I guess I was reflecting like, where's the Colin Samir end goal with all this? Like for me, with our stuff, it's like make content, build Noah's brand, promote it to AppSumo. Like, hey, if you're trying to start or grow a business, you're going to end up going to AppSumo. And Noah's kind of the gateway drug or the guy that's going to be evangelizing it. So I, I guess I was curious, like, where that goes for you guys. And then 
because then subsequently it's like, well, what pieces tie best to that? Is it consulting? Mm-hmm. Is it products? Is it promoting software? Is it going to be like selling a course? Yeah, I think um, that's something that we've worked on over the past couple of months. I think we consider ourselves an education media company. And the course was a really good eye-opening experience to say, that's something we think we're good at and we think we can do again. And I think thinking through the different portals of education and educating people in the creator economy. So for us, I, th- I almost see it a little bit almost like a Vayner Media style where there's Colin and I, which are top of funnel, and we're seeing a lot of opportunity come through that funnel and then having building things behind it to help support. And a lot of the opportunity comes through trying to gain more knowledge about how to work with creators, how to be a creator, and how to uh, basically inject or uh, partner with creators to to create business. I guess the thing with all that stuff is like the opportunity cost of one thing is a trade-off, right? So like on one hand, I'm like, he made 75K selling a course. He's not really promoting it. Okay, that's interesting, right? You made money, it started, but then you're kind of like pulled off back. And then you're making money on your YouTube stuff is starting to work. I'm not saying you're, pull, you're a pullback. I definitely do that. Like I get going and then I, you know, we, we change our minds. But I guess I'm just wondering, what is the, oppor- the highest opportunity cost? Like, oh, this is the thing I actually probably should be spending more time on the videos and, and maybe just promoting the course or spend more time on the videos and getting the consulting for it. It's just more like, what's the stack rank of your opportunities Yeah, uh, for that? I think that was a problem I had in, in our last business where I diversified too quickly. It was like, why? It was like, build, make the one thing really good and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I think that's still, it's still, the YouTube channel is has to be number one because it's the, everything is built off of that. You know, if we start deprioritizing the YouTube channel, everything the whole thing doesn't work so i do think that no no matter what like right now the channel is number one and i do think that thinking about you know are we capable of making two shows a week and then thinking about that model you know is it advertising is it saying hey we're sold out for q2 right now so we want to add another show to add more advertising or is it saying actually we're starting to see that there is a group of, of people who's super engaged who wants to have discussion around this stuff that wants to have more um live interactions with us and is that you know, similar to the course, but a membership model where people are paying for education, but they're actually paying on a monthly basis. And we're building that in that. So I do think that that is like, to really take a step back, that's the most important is, is we are proficiency is content creation. And so we have to be content creators first. In the way Silicon Valley or like the world I'm from, it's more, not it's more, but it is, hey, you're doing one video, it's working, it's working. How do you do 10 a week? And some of that's not sustainable, then maybe there's other like other actors in the show and things like that. No, I think it's a good call. And I, I think though this is the type of feedback that a lot of creators like would love like this is this made me think. And I think we get lost sometimes in the news of creators launching eight businesses, you know, and you're like, well, I'm behind. Not realizing that like your core product, if you just focus on that. The future to me is creators. Right. Like there's gonna be so many people like like Cooper can make a video about how he's behind the scenes and Andrew can make a video about how he's an investor. And there's a lot of jobs going to be created about that. And it's like, they're looking for someone, which is you guys. Like, I'm not, I'm the creator's business guy. <laughs> like, that's what, I, I like making videos. I like attention. I like interacting about it. But I'm not, like, when I watch your videos, like, I watch one this morning. I'm like, they just know how to do creation. Like, the way you do your narrative and the way you like, like, I'd do that same video in four minutes. I'd be kind of mumbling and it doesn't make sense. And like, well, I'll get better over time. But it's like, oh, it's clear what you guys are excellent at. So I, I would only say, if you can do what's working more of that. And then how do you make the news that are a little bit more just plugged into what we're doing yeah streamlining the current business more so than like hey we're creating a separate entity which separate entity makes sense taking that step uh, back in my own stories we started AppSumo 11 years ago skyrocketed it's done really well i hired ceo he's been running it for five or six years now like super successful business like 
half of me is like, wow, we're so lucky. And half is like, still, half I'm like just really shocked how well it's doing. But then we launched all these other products. So we launched email pop-up software, sumo.com, SendFox, email selling software, email marketing software, a course, monthly 1K, King Sumo, giveaway software, other tools. If we would have put all that time into AppSumo, AppSumo would probably be like a few hundred million dollar a year business in revenue. All the other stuff is done, is done fine. Like they all do, we've got, they do, some of them done seven figures and some, you know, have, have totally failed. But it's just like, huh, if we took, it's so hard to get something to work. Yeah. I mean, I know that. Yeah. It's super hard to get something to work. And so that's what Andrew and I talk about a lot. He's like, you, all the other stuff you've done, none of it's done great. Like still that one. So like, what if you put everything onto that? So that's great feedback. And I'm curious from your perspective around, we've had conversations with some of our other, our friends around this and, and creators. And I think every creator would be interested in this conversation is as we're looking at building a, you know, a brand alongside our brand, what are the pros and cons in your opinion of building it all in the Colin and Samir name? And the, uh, you know, the other version is building like a sub brand that you're in. AppSumo or something else. Like, I think that's been something that we've struggled with of understanding, like, is all the brand equity in Colin and Samir? And should we only build brand equity in Colin and Samir? Or do we start sub brands? Yeah. You know, or a sub brand. And I think all creators deal with that, right? That's the thing we've been wondering even with internally. So we have a YouTube channel for AppSumo and then there's the Noah Kagan YouTube channel. Yeah. I'm not great with brand stuff. That's never, I'm more of a evangelist marketer promoter. So that's not something I, I really understand as well. I know that I think it's easier for the audience to connect with me versus like, hey, here's an AppSumo channel. And so on the AppSumo channel, it's like, how do we introduce, there's a guy named Chris who's desert who's like the personality that people can actually associate with versus as much as like an AppSumo, I don't know if people will actually connect with that. Yeah, that's that's been a really interesting thing. Is like one of our one of our very close friends uh, who's an entrepreneur. He was like, "Why isn't it called the Collins Spirit Newsletter?" I feel like that makes a lot more sense. And I think that was a big question, and we were like, "Oh yeah." I think the biggest thing with that, you guys just need to have some hedge so you can communicate with your audience, regardless of YouTube. And so that would be something that, like, I would start your newsletter today and just put a link up in your whatever your top three most popular videos in the past twenty days. Put a link in the description and just start getting that audience there so you can communicate. If you want to do a course, if you want to launch new products, if you want to launch brands, if you want to do consulting whatever that is. Because right now, when, when people do these integrations, I'm always surprised still how, how little money YouTubers make. Yeah, sure. Like I made all these videos, and I was like, they're all like not that wealthy. Yeah. Right? And so then I do like your idea of how do I create an asset that kind of can start building off of that. But I think that is you have to be able to have the control of the audience. Control sounds negative. It sounds like you don't control them, but like be able to communicate with them effectively. And then I think what's interesting is if that newsletter thing works, either A, make that the membership or sell ads, and then you could spin it. You want to create like a bunch of verticals on it? Was that the... That where you're going? You know, I think we understand that each one of our audience segments, probably we speak to in a different way. And and the way we think about it is, number one is career creators. And, you know, that's people who are in it. You know, Eric's a great example of, of uh, someone who's in our audience. Yeah. Also someone we're, we're close with, uh, MKBHD. So like we find out that there's a lot of creators in our audience who are doing content creation as their career. The next uh, category of audience is aspiring creators. That's huge, dude. That's a huge audience. And that's the people who bought our course. That's people who are... Um, how many people do you think are out there like that, by the way? A lot. <laughs> and how many bought your course? 750. And you're already moving on to the newsletter part, which is good, because I think the newsletter, if it supports the course thing... Right. Yeah. But no, you're right. I think um, Nas, Nas Daily, do you know him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's doing a great job with it with Nas Academy. And I think he's, he's totally building based on knowing how many aspiring creators there are. So the aspiring creator category is massive. Then we're starting to no notice that there's people in the creator industry in our audience. That's like business owners, managers, founders in the creator economy. And then the fourth group that we always think about is non-believers. And that's the people who don't currently <laughs> have any you know, reason to believe that the creator economy is something to care about. Yeah. And typically our content is used to convert 
a non-believer to a supporter. That's cool. And so we kind of think about those four audience categories, not as much the non-believers, but the first three as like, they all kind of want different products and they want different, different versions of education and information. Yeah. And so, you know, the newsletter was one that we thought serviced across the three. It was the first one to service across the three. Um, because whether you're a career creator, like a lot of creators come to us and text us about some news and say like, what do you think? What does this mean? Yeah. Like, should I care about this or not? And so we're like, okay, well, there's a clear product there. People in the industry are the same way. They're new, they're venture capitalists or um, someone who works at an ad agency who's tasked to learn about the creator economy more. A lot of, we get a lot of inbound about that too. Hey, can you put together a workshop for our company to learn about this? And so we're like, well, there's a scaled approach to that, at least of an, a top of funnel. Uh, and then same with the aspiring creator. They're trying to figure out how this becomes a career, trying to understand how to interact with the world of, yeah. of the creator economy. I think there's a lot of people in my audience who are like, how do I get going? It's probably not going to be uh, what you know everyone wants to hear, but the only way to get going is to get going. Like, that's it. It's just, <laughs> I was just talking to a friend yesterday who really wants to be a comedian. And uh, I was like, oh, well, do you have bits written down? And he's like, yeah, I have a ton of bits written down. I was like, oh, just say those bits to camera and start posting them on TikTok. And then I come to find out he has a ton of drafts in TikTok already. He was like, well, yeah, I've already, oh, I've, already, I've already started to try this. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sit next to you. And I sat next to him and he published the first one. And I was like, now you got to do 30 in the next 30 days. And I was like, after 30 days, you're still probably going to suck, but you have 30 reps. Yeah. And now you can build the next 30 reps. So that's all I would say is that you just don't expect to win unless you start doing reps. Like think about it as sports. Think about it as anything else. It's like you need the reps. And so if you are dead serious about going, like make one, I would say you don't even have to show it to anyone. Just make one. Feel what it feels like to make one and then make another and then make another. Yeah. You know, I, we're 10 years into this and I feel like we're still crafting what it looks like to make a Colin and Spear video. You guys are doing great, dude. I'm like super excited for you guys. Appreciate that. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did. To learn more about Colin and Samir, make sure you check out their newsletter, thepublishedpress.com, and search for Colin and Samir on YouTube, one of my favorite shows. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's start a newsletter together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, remember to subscribe to my newsletter. I'm going to send you an email every single week. I got you. Sendfox.com slash Noah. Finally, a couple shout out to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com. I'm sure you heard his name. He does all the editing. Thank you, Mitchell, Jeremy, Hubert, Jonathan, Sasa, and Jen, plus Cam. Thanks, dog, for all the work you guys do. I'm going to give a shout out to the AppSumo Originals team for launching email badges. Enrique, Marnie, David, Gary, Garrett, and all the other beautiful people that make amazing products that help entrepreneurs do cool things. Thank you, AppSumo Originals team. Have a stupendous day. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh-huh.